So you'll see the first reading is from Matthew 6, uh, starting at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The second reading comes from Luke's Gospel, um, chapter 12, starting at verse 15. Then he said to them, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Thanks, Brahman, for reading. Morning, everybody. I'm Ben, the pastor here. And as Kate said, you've got an outline for the talk in your service sheets, so you can follow along. Let's um, let's pray, shall we, for God's help as we come to His Word. Father, we thank you for uh, these words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you uh, that they are searching words, convicting. And we recognize, Father, we live in a society, in a culture uh, that is so materialistic. We recognize there are spiritual forces at play. And so we pray this morning that you would keep Satan at bay and you would enable us to hear these words of Jesus, to take them to heart, to hear them with humble hearts, and that you would enable us by your spirit to respond in joyful obedience. For his name's sake, amen. So this morning we are looking at what is the most prevalent sin in our church, maybe. Greed. Materialism. Not necessarily the most serious sin, but probably the most widespread, the most insidious Because I reckon with other sins, people are battling. But very few people battle with greed. Over the years, people have confessed all sorts of things to me. 
I don't think anyone has ever come to me and confessed that they're struggling with greed. But Jesus speaks about money as much as anything else. In Luke 12, that second reading, we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew 6, but Luke 12, he says, doesn't he, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, which implies that greed is something kind of subtle. It can be hard to recognize. You know, even in the story, it's not necessarily a bad thing to build a bigger barn to store your growing crops. It's not necessarily a bad thing to have a nice car or a new TV. How do you know when wise stewardship crosses over into greed? But I wonder, are we even asking that question? And are we willing for others to ask us questions about how we're using our money? I wonder if money is kind of the, the final taboo. You can, you can ask me about my sex life, but don't you dare ask me about my finances. But have we taken Jesus' warning on board? Because greed is so hard to recognize, isn't it? We need to be consciously on guard against it. And, and I would suggest that's particularly the case in our secular Western culture. Money, wealth, possessions, stuff, it's the God of our culture, isn't it? And as Christians, we're inevitably affected by that. We're, we're fools if we think we're not. But so often we're blind to it because it's the water we swim in. We just absorb that worldview. Sometimes we need to hear a view, a voice from outside. I don't know if this has been your experience. Sometimes when you look at some parts of African Christianity, you can be shocked and kind of think, how can they combine the worship of God with the worship of ancestors, folk religion? But so many African Christians come to the West and they're shocked and wonder how we can combine the worship of God with our cultural idolatry, the worship of material wealth. It is probably in this area of materialism that there's the biggest gap between what Jesus teaches and how Christians live. Therefore, it's also in this area that there's the biggest opportunity for us to live counterculturally. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching about kingdom living, how to live out the truths of the gospel. And as some reminded us in the kids' talk a few weeks ago, it's an upside-down kingdom. Jesus' teaching is utterly radical and counterintuitive. As one writer comments, if a group of people took this teaching seriously, it would make them into a human society like no other on earth. Are we going to do that? Be people who don't just say Jesus is Lord and sing, but really live in obedience to what he teaches. Two points to guide us through. Firstly, locating your treasure. Secondly, transferring your treasure. They're not great points, but um, they'll give us handles to guide us through. Firstly, locating or identifying your treasure. What is it that your heart treasures? In this little section in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about three comparisons. And he asks us, if you like, three questions. Where are you investing? What is your outlook? And who is your master? We'll look at each in turn. Firstly, where are you investing? Look again, verse 19. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now that final verse, verse 21, can be read two ways. It could be saying that wherever you store up your treasures, your heart will follow. So if you want to desire the things of heaven, the things of eternity, then invest your money in gospel ministry and mercy to the poor, and your heart will follow. Or it could be saying, wherever you store up your treasure reveals where your heart already is. So if you are storing up treasures on earth, well, it reveals that your heart is set on the things of this world. I think it's probably both. Certainly both are true, that where we invest ourselves shapes and directs our heart, our desires. But also, how we live, where we invest ourselves, reveals what's already true in our hearts. I think the emphasis is probably on the second. If you want to know what your heart desires, follow the money. Look at where you're investing your wealth. You know, when you get more money come in, Where does your mind go? I could use it for what? So often it's the next upgrade, isn't it? Replace that appliance that's getting a bit old, some new clothing, new pair of shoes maybe, a new tech gadget. How often do we think when money comes in, I could use it to give more to that gospel worker, that charity, that ministry? What is it that your money flows most freely towards? If you want to know your heart, follow the money. Where are you investing? Secondly, what is your outlook? Look again at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The imagery is not immediately obvious. Jesus is saying here, I think, that there's something about our eyes, the way that we look out, that affects our whole being, that fills us either with light or darkness. The word translated healthy literally means single. So Jesus could be saying, if you have a single, undivided focus on God and his kingdom, Well, then your life will be full of light. You'll be able to see everything clearly in the light of the gospel. You'll be able to live rightly. It echoes, I think, what Jesus says a bit later at the end of chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. But the word for healthy can also mean generous. Don't ask me how it can mean both single and generous, but that probably fits better with the context, doesn't it? He says in verse 23, if your eyes are unhealthy, literally evil. So the contrast to single being evil doesn't make quite as much sense as maybe the contrast to generous and evil or stingy. And that's what the NIV puts in its footnotes, if you've got an actual Bible open that these words can mean generous and stingy, and clearly that fits well. 
in this section on material length, uh, wealth. So I think that's probably what Jesus is saying, but maybe again, both ideas are present. If you've got an undivided focus on God and his kingdom, and therefore your outlook on life is one of generosity, you're generous in giving your money to the cause of God's kingdom, well, then your whole life will be full of light. You'll see things clearly. You'll live rightly. Thirdly, who is your master? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word for money, I'm doing a lot of, it's actually this, I know that's kind of unhelpful sometimes, but the word for money in Greek is mammon. So it can mean money, but it's kind of broader than that. It's material wealth, possessions, earthly treasures. It can also, I think, carry the idea of worldly status and success. And Jesus is saying you can't have both. You can't say that you serve God, that he's your master, while also serving mammon. You've got to choose. Who's going to be your true master, your ultimate Lord? Now, as I said before, it can be hard to really know your heart. How do I know who I'm serving? Because serving God doesn't mean I have no material possessions or never buy a new product. So how do I know who I'm serving? Let me break it down and ask a few more questions. And these are questions I find troubling. Four questions. Am I distinctive in my attitude to material stuff and the way I use my money? Am I distinctive? If my lifestyle is no different to the non-Christian people around me, can I genuinely claim that Christ is my master? Second question. Am I sacrificial in my giving, in my generosity? It's kind of disappointing, isn't it? In the New Testament, we don't get a figure, an amount, a percentage that we're supposed to give. You know, people talk about the tithe, 10% of your income. That's certainly part of the Old Testament law. Although, if you actually add up all the tithes and offerings commanded in the Old Testament, it's something like 23%. But in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't give us a figure. He doesn't say, if you're giving 10% of your income, then you can be sure. I'm your master. You're really serving me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The guide is sacrifice. The example of Jesus, who emptied himself, gave everything. So am I being sacrificial? Is, is my giving and generosity to the things of eternity actually costing me anything? Third question. What's my aim or ambition when it comes to material wealth? If and when my income goes up or I receive some money somehow, what's my goal? Am I wanting to become more and more comfortable or am I wanting to become more and more generous? Again, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says, Since you excel in everything, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. 
He wants the Corinthians to grow in their generosity. Is that your ambition? You're not set and forget 10% or whatever and done, but can I, can I grow? Maybe this year 11%, next year 12 I always remember hearing about a young worker in the city of London working for one of the international banks, and at the end of the year he received his bonus, and he walked straight down to the church he was part of, got out his checkbook, wrote a check for £15,000, his entire bonus. You might think, well, yeah, he was working for a bank, had heaps of money. He could, he could spare that. It was a bonus. But would you do the same? Fourth question. Where does my money flow to most easily? I asked you that before. Let's dig in. Feeling uncomfortable? There are some things that money just flies out of our pockets towards, flies out of our bank account. We don't even feel like we're spending because it's going to something we so love and value. Maybe it's toward your appearance, clothing, jewelry. Maybe it's to your health and fitness because those are the things that you value. Maybe it's into your home. Maybe it's into your savings, investments, which seems very wise, doesn't it? Because we think that will give us security. Sorry, Seems wise, putting your money in savings, but is it because we think that's where our security is found? For all of us, there are things that our money flows to easily. For me, one thing, books. I I can buy, and books are not cheap anymore, but I don't even feel like I'm spending money on books because I value the books. I value the fact that books kind of have a, a status associated with them, and there's wisdom and knowledge to be gained by reading them. We all have things our money flows to easily, but then we hear about a giving appeal, or someone's trying to raise money for charity, and we think, ooh, well, have to think about that carefully, have to pray about that. I'm not sure we can extend ourselves. Probably not this time, I'm afraid. Or if we do give then it's calculated, it's very measured. You know, what can we afford? When you hear about a 10% tithe, you know, giving 10% of your income to kingdom ministries, how do you react to that? Does it, does it sound like an enormous amount? Does it seem unreasonable? If it does, I think you've got a question if Christ is really your treasure. You might believe in him, but is he the treasure of your heart? Do you love him? If you love him, then you will have no trouble giving large amounts of your money. I want to recognize in our current situation here in Australia, there's there's pressures on the cost of living. We don't have as much disposable income as we used to. For some people, it's the right thing to reduce what you're giving. I want to say again, it's not wrong to buy a new car, to do a home renovation, to take a nice holiday, to invest for the future. Material wealth is not bad in and of itself. But do you feel the pull of our culture? The pull of materialism? Do you feel how deceitful your own heart is? 
Because the danger is that we can justify every expense. You can always justify it. But the danger is that we do that and we end up with stingy eyes and a stockpile of earthly treasures and a divided heart. So what do we do? How do we break the hold that money and material wealth has on us? Well, secondly, we need to transfer our treasure, don't we? Transfer the desires of our hearts. And Jesus gives us good reason to do so. Look again at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. Jesus here exposes the deficiency of earthly treasures. Earthly treasures, we've sung, haven't we? They don't last. They're not a good investment. Stuff fades and breaks and gets stolen. This was very apparent in Jesus' day when a person's wealth was really held in physical stuff, stuff that could disintegrate or be stolen. And we might think today, well, our wealth is more secure. But then we remember financial crises, don't we? And the possibility of fraud and theft. Earthly treasures don't last. They didn't last then, they don't last now. They certainly can't be taken with us beyond this life. That's the big lesson from Jesus' story in Luke 12, isn't it? That, that, that man, the farmer, he seemed so wise, building a bigger barn to store his growing wealth. But then suddenly he dies and God says, you fool. And we think, what? No, no, he, he, he's wise. He's rich. No, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Earthly treasures don't last, and ultimately they can't satisfy. They don't deliver on what they promise. I mean, we all know the adverts are a lie, don't we? Right? Buying that brand of mascara, it's not going to make you a shiny, happy person. Buying that aftershave, it's not going to make you irresistible to women. We've quoted Jim Carrey before, but but it's such a striking quote. He says, I wish everybody could get rich and famous, have everything they ever dreamed of, so they can see it isn't the answer. David Foster Wallace was an American author. He gave a really insightful speech at the Kenyon College, um, at Kenyon College. Don't know what it was, inaugural, start of the year, anyway. He wasn't a Christian, but he talked about worship. This is what he said. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. You'll never feel that you have enough. Worship your body and beauty, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. So true. Earthly treasures don't last and they cannot satisfy. They can't deliver on what they promise. So go and get a source 
of treasure, a source of self-worth and security and meaning and hope that is not subject to circumstance, that no thief can steal, that nothing else can change. Because then you'll be solid and stable, won't you? And Jesus says, it's there. We can do it. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, invest in eternity. Invest in the cause of the gospel and the work of the kingdom. That's an investment that is imperishable and uncorruptible. An investment totally secure that has unbelievable returns. So Jesus says, invest in eternity. But we'll only do that if Christ is our treasure. If Christ is the thing that our heart desires above all else. It's not enough to just believe in Christ and in your heart treasure other things. You have to not only trust him, but treasure him. Not only depend on him, but delight in him. Not only rely on him, but rejoice in him. So set your mind and heart on Jesus. Love him, praise him, worship and adore him. We talked last week about the importance of praise in our prayer life. How are you going? How much does praise and adoration feature in your personal prayers? Is God just the dispenser of stuff? Or is he your delight, your rewards? So good, isn't it? Gathering together on Sunday and singing in praise. Let your heart be captured by the beauty of Christ. Fix your eyes on him, the one who had all the treasures of heaven, but willingly left them behind, emptied himself, and was born into poverty. You know, he lived homeless. He had one garment, nowhere to lay his head, buried in a borrowed tomb. Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, who, though he was rich, became poor for you. Because you were his treasure. Because you're so valuable in his eyes. He became poor so you through his poverty might become rich, unbelievably wealthy. Every spiritual blessing. When you see Jesus dying naked, pouring himself out for you, making you his treasure, then he will become your treasure. Your heart will be captured by his beauty and you'll be drawn away from other things. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for these words of Jesus there. Hard-hitting, uncompromising, challenging words. We want to confess to you, Father, the ways that we're guilty of greed and materialism. We ask that you'd open our eyes and, and show us ways that we've been influenced by our culture that we're not even aware of. We pray, loving Father, would you work in us by your Spirit and capture our hearts afresh with the beauty of Christ. 
would we be able to say with Paul that everything else is loss, garbage, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing him? We pray that you would lead us in joyful, sacrificial generosity for the cause of your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.